Welcome to Titos and Tea, our actual first Tito on the show. His name is Macho Cassidy. So Macho is a conceptual writer and performance poet who explores themes that are heart-wrenching, brain-stimulating, and thought-provoking, such as identity, diaspora, passion, reincarnation, death, love, and romance. Using cadence and conceptual methods, he bridges relationships with traits, balancing ideologies with metaphor, suspending death, and delicately trickling power through alliteration within his rhymes. You do have bars. I will I will give you that, Kuya. <laughs> Thank you. It's a very extensive bio. So he was the runner-up at Draw Your Sword Slam 2017. He was voted People's Champ for, um, is it Gula? Uh, yeah, there was a Gula po- Poetry Cup, yeah. Where everybody liked my poem, but I didn't get through. So they were like, hey, let's give him this. And I don't know. I had to battle it out with another poet at that stage. So I had to do another poem. And then they're like, yeah, give it to Macho. Yeah, it was a cool thing. I don't know. A very much deserved win. Yeah, what oh my, What else do you do? You're, you're working on your own book, Ellipsis, In Between the Dots? Yeah, yeah. So it will go into the idea of um, identity. It will go into love. It will go into the search for home and and conceptualizations of identity yeah yeah there's so many things that you do a lot of poetry events poetry therapy what's that reading your bio i'm just vibing i'm trying to me and a friend we we do a thing where we try and <laughs> we try and get people together and we like get them to write poetry as if it's like an like you know a, an outlet kind of thing and they can it doesn't have to be like completely like artsy and in cadence and rhythm and and, and structure but like it can just be for them to express themselves so it was like a once a fortnight kind of thing it was cool so tell me about your work and what you do as an artist so when did you kind of start writing i started writing uh at an early age like i think when i was like 12 13 and but i wasn't really serious about it besides uh when i was like in early elementary and my teacher was like oh this is really good this guy uh, you should like he was always giving me A's and he'd say it's an A plus if you finish it but then like I fell out of it and I, I don't know I got into dance more because I found it harder to express myself in words and then through dance um, I found poetry somehow because dance wasn't enough so I always feel like there's like a belief to t- teach the kids a bit of dance and a bit of writing so that they can express themselves physically as well as like mentally and emotionally and they can show what's on the outside and they can show what's on the inside. But I feel like I only really started writing seriously like five years ago. Yeah. When did you start performance, like spoken word and all that kind of slam stuff? Because oh. it is kind of a bridging of like performance. So you get to move around the stage and write and use your words in different ways. But it's, I feel like if you, like, I feel like if you predominantly write for page and you don't perform, it's a completely different art form to to use your body and to really captivate an audience so how did you get into spoken word and stuff i got into spoken word because i loved like the kind of what do you call it the kind of like uh, hobby or what is it like there's a word for um i'm lost for words for for somebody that's a poet right now um when you're um when you're with your friends and like you're you're having a good time at a barbecue or a friend's house or you're just at, out late at night and then somebody puts on a beat or like somebody starts beatboxing and then there's a cypher i'd always like go into the cypher and just freestyle and then one of my friends was like hey your style is such a like spoken word style and i was like what's that and he was like 
come with me next Friday. I'll come show you. And he took me to like a spoken word event. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. So this is why I love the communities and this is why I love giving back to the communities because it's like it's such a sort of opener for you to like rediscover yourself or discover other people. When I went in there, um, he was like, you should go up on the mic because it's an open mic. And I was like, I'll go up if you go up. And I forgot that he's like, he's like a talented rapper as well. So he's like, you just hit a first. And I was like, damn, all right, I lost the bet. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll go up there. I went up there and I freestyled some poetry and people were like, oh, that was really good. And then like, I did that. I don't know. I like, I liked it. It was cool. It was like, you could just go up and freestyle. But then somebody was like, you should write something though. And yeah, I don't know. I got my heart broken at one stage and I was like yes. so upset. So I wrote about that and it was beautiful. It was like my first full poem and, yeah, and then I brought it out and then people were like, oh, that's cool. How old were you when you first um, performed? Like when you first, like your friend took you to that to a poetry event? I think I would have been 26. 26, oh. yeah. See, I'm a, I'm a lot older than you'd see. That's why I said I'll be a Tito rather than a Koya. But yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I think 26 when I was there. Yeah, so like four, four or five, four years ago. No, maybe that was five years ago. Yeah, 25. Oh, damn, you are a Tito. I like, I, I just assumed, I was like, Koya doesn't, well, I guess Filipinos don't age. So. Yeah, we don't, we don't raise them. <laughs> we we don't we hit forty five and we're like we might we might get a wrinkle or two. Oh yeah, but yeah. So you've been doing poetry for quite a lot now. Hey, mm, yeah, yeah. Is that something that you thought that you would pursue, or is it just kind of like it was a surprise to you? You just kind of fell into it. I kind of just fell into it because of communities and because it was a good outlet. Like I didn't expect to, like yeah like if i asked myself like six years ago like oh do you see yourself being a poet i'll be like what is that i'll be like what you're ridiculous i'm gonna stick to my uni degree <laughs> yeah poetry is one of those things that like i fell into it um when i was 16 but i never thought i would continue doing it it was just something i was like oh this is fun um and it, it just started i was like googling poetry events in sydney and Australian Poetry Slam came up, and that was like my first oh. introduction to poetry. You went to the wow! You went to the nationals, yeah. and that was your first experience. No, I got into um, I I like went to a heat because I didn't know it was a like a thing thing. So I was like, yeah, I'll just do my poem at a heat, and um, I like placed top three, but they only take top two. Um, and I was like sixteen, seventeen at the time, and then the year after, I went to state. And I didn't get to nationals, but then I ended up working for um, Word Travels that runs Australian Poetry Slam. So, like, I literally didn't know that any of these things were going to happen. I literally like rocked up, and I was like, That's "This cool. is going to be fun." That's cool. Wow. Yeah. No expectation yeah. gets there. Yeah, but it's it's one of those things. I know, like you've kept saying, like community, and I think that was a big thing that like kept me in poetry and spoken word is because you meet like the coolest people oh yeah 100 percent. yeah you meet people that inspire you in writing and also like intrigue you in their like life journey and you're like wow okay that you are an individual you see people at their most individual kind of variant yeah that, that that's like could be anything possible i reckon and plus the community is so supportive in poetry that like people are always trying to and unless you meet like those competitive freaks that just 
do it for like the glamour of it for some weird reason even though there is no glamour and they're just like there's no like they just do it for the points yeah and you're like why did you bring your friend here to be a judge it's like you're like and they still don't get it but you're like okay uh, but besides that yeah it, like poetry community is so dope it's it's always such a really great time whenever it gets together because they're not just poets they end up being like musicians and artists and all these kinds of different things so who in the community like since you've kind of started being a poet and spoken artist has really inspired you like Ooh. have you met someone super super cool and you were like oh my god this is life-changing in 2017, I met Abe Nook, who's um Melbourne's sp- spoken word artist. Yes. He was actually... I did a workshop with him. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. Years ago. He's the coolest. So we did um, we did a workshop for young high school students and stuff, like back, way, way, way back in the day. But yeah, he's the coolest dude. Yeah, he came down to Soul Lounge. I think it was the second time he featured because he was there when it first started. So Soul Lounge is a spoken word event that happens on a monthly basis in Adelaide that's mainly for people of color, mainly for migrants and migrant children oh, cool. and, you know, all that. Yeah, he came down and he, uh, he said my poem, like he said, he hasn't heard anything like that before. And I was like, oh, wow, for you to say that, that's cool. That's real. <laughs> yeah. Plus, we had this really cool interaction where, like, I don't know, I was on stage and I was just talking about going back to the Philippines and but I didn't mention the Philippines. I was just talking about going back to the homeland and talking about how crazy it was cuz like I I don't know. I didn't I grew up in between the Philippines and here. I hadn't been back there for 13 years and then I was just talking about the homeland and then he stood up or he put his hand up and he was like, "Where is the homeland to you?" And then I just started a poem from that like cuz I have this poem that I use that's mainly to like interact with people that ask you where you're from. That's so cool. And that that was like... It was just like purely like spontaneous. And people like actually thought that we set that up. And we, well, I was like, no, like how? Like I just met, I like, I had like one sentence with a dude before he like, before the show thing. But yeah, he's a cool dude. And he showed, I don't know, he showed like his stage performance showed me how you can sort of like instigate stuff that's suddenly like uncomfortable for the audience, but to also get them to like understand your triggers and understand like what their privilege is and yeah where you stand with everything and for them to actually listen to you in a way so he's a dope poet for that yeah who are some artists that you really admire like what kind of got you to to kind of be creative oh there's a lot of like conceptual poets that i i follow on youtube or I've got. I've just recently got um, Hanif Abdur Quib's latest book. So he inspires me because he 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 talks in such a conceptual way. But when he performs, it's like he's just speaking in a conversation, so relaxed and like just putting it out there, like in a very like perfect, like flawless way. In a, in a way where he doesn't focus on cadence or rhythm he's just talking about something that's happened through metaphors besides that tender mcfly but he's also a melbourne-based artist he was gonna come down here in april but then covid happened and like all all our flights got canceled it was a mess he has this cool energy about him that like i can't wait to like meet the dude because he has this poem that's conceptually about gladiators he has this poem about the stuff that people don't talk about 
but like he like him wanting to talk about it and it's like it's a very like yeah it's a really cool poem uh um besides that i don't know rudy francisco sarah k um, yeah love them yeah a lot of the, yeah a lot of the ogs uh speaking of g's g yamas g yamazawa yeah g yamazawa uh also known as george yamazawa uh princess powell joshua bennett like anybody that's like yeah joshua bennett and joshua uh, joseph capehart like they do this poem that's about like what you wanted to be as a child and i think that's a cool prompt if you're ever like in a like setting where you're doing a workshop on poetry get people to write about what they wanted to be when they were a kid or like what happened when somebody asked you what you wanted to be when you were a kid and you can make it something that's conceptual that has a metaphor because it has a purposeful kind of placement yeah for sure like within the trajectory of your life it becomes a beautiful way to to start a story yeah i think this is the end of the session we're going to take a little break and then get into our discussion bit so now tito and i are going to talk about tattoo culture in the philippines and our relationship with that and what we think about it so macho why why did you want to talk about that today on the podcast and why do you find it so interesting i find it is something that's needed to be talked about as the culture of ancient practice of like ancient tattooing is coming back in as it's like widely regarded by like the i don't know i'd say generation x of the philippines as like a um a taboo kind of thing it's like oh don't do that don't get your tattoo because then you're you know i don't know all kinds of like stereotypes and whatever follows that so there's I uh, know there's like even in some churches they'll say like it's bad to get a tattoo like it they'll like they'll they'll ban getting tattoos and piercings and all that but um it's something that uniquely identifies us as Filipinos is before the Philippines was called the Philippines it was called Islas uh, Islas Pintados which is like islands of the painted ones and it was because like when the Spanish came every filipino would like have like full like body tattoos like all over fully decked out yeah oh uh, like and like besides that the only other thing that that you know identifies us as filipinos pre-spanish colonialism is like i don't know the carvings of teeth the weaving the Mayan scripture and there's some there's some ancient practices of prayer that used to be passed down, like through oral speaking. But one of the most like easiest to pass down is tattoos at the moment because we've we've got a lot of people doing research on it, uh, including Lane Wilkin. We still have Opawang Odd that's like doing tattoos on people to this day. And I think it's it's like all those tattoos have like such a such a deep thread into our her- heritage and to our identity and our like bond to our ancestors as Filipinos. And it differs from like which area and provinces you come from. I think it's something that we should hold to value um, and hold intact. It's something that sort of makes us uniquely Filipino. It's something that a lot of Filipinos go back to, to like, to get to like really reclaim their heritage. So that's cool. You asked me before if I was in front of a, a group of kids, what would I 
talk about. I'd talk about, yeah, getting a Filipino tattoo. Uh, even if, like, kids these days, they'd want, like, an Americanized tattoo or something, you know, like, or something that's, like, totally, like, foreign because it gives a greater meaning to be foreign, apparently. I think tattoos are, one, just a very beautiful way to adorn your body. And I think that when it comes to being part of the diaspora, having symbols like this is really important to feel like you belong because it's a very obvious marker of belonging. And I know that with the where Filipino tattooing comes from, so I think in some languages it's called um, tak-tak, and it's basically like they use a calamansi thorn. So I don't know if, have you ever had like a calamansi plant at your house or like your mom's growing it in the backyard or whatever? In my Lola's house, yeah, 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 definitely. I think every Filipino's had that. Yeah, right? And they have like these thorns and stuff. So I remember when I was getting traditionally tattooed, basically you get to like pick the thorn and they can be as thin or as thick as you want it to be, basically. So you get to choose your own needle. Don't get a thick one because it really hurts. Oh, it's not wow. fun. <laughs> you tried it. Yeah, I was like, I was like, oh, if it's bigger, it'll be done faster. No, no, do not go down that route. Um, and then it's basically um, hand tapped on this like bamboo kind of situation. And the ink that they use is actually made from a charcoal paste. Well, at least um, where I went in the the Kalinga region, that's where they made it out from and stuff. And but the history of tattooing um, pre-colonial Philippines and all that kind of stuff, there's like a lot of historical accounts that trace that to Pacific Islander tattooing. So when they came up through um, the Philippines, oh, yeah. and that, the island corridor, we actually share very similar tattooing practices from the Pacific Islands. Um, and also when um, people were in, in that region of the islands, when they went to Hawaii. So you actually find that traditional pre-colonial Filipino tattoos are very similar to current Pacifica ones as well. So I think that's a really beautiful way to to also mark that there was a beautiful tradition in tattooing before the Spanish came. And it was a very, um, it connected people across different islands, across different like. Oh, yeah. Versus like, oh, we're just a part of Asia that's awkwardly not really that Asian to other Asians. Yeah. It's like it connected us like to a more wider Pacific. Yeah, I think that's a cool thing. Um, I think Lane Wilkin talks about this a lot. As he, I think he was the he was the guy that discovered it being like a half Filipino, half um, Hawaiian. Was he Hawaiian, or he just he went there on a, like a missionary kind of purpose, and he like learned the language and he learned. Oh, I'm not about... fam- I'm not familiar with him. Oh, okay, but yeah, no, it's like I think he was the main person that discovered it and uh, did a whole bunch of. Um... So he like popularized. Yeah, he popularized the whole idea. He um, wrote a book called uh, "The Lost Children of Maui," and it talks about Filipino. And yeah, he like he he like discovered this kind of by accident. But yeah, he he discovered it in Hawaii, and he he found a lot of different kind of uh, traits that Filipinos had that Hawaiians had. And it didn't like it. It just kept clicking with him that we like you know when you kiss your when your grandma like comes and gives you like a kiss and snuggles you up. It's very similar to how the yeah. Maui's like put their head together in greeting, and then they sniff, and uh, it's called like the breath of life. <gasps> oh, I, like oh my god! Like when you're when you're like Dita is like holding a newborn baby and they just like sniff the fuck out of this like baby. Is, is that <gasps> that's yeah? That's cool. I think I love like. I love tattooing and I love this topic because it reminds us that there was so much 
connection and there was so much vibrant cultures across the world like I think that with colonization and western worlds and the the kind of stuff that we get educated in it was kind of like oh nothing happened before we came you know like that whole kind of they weren't traveling you know we brought them this this and this and it wasn't the case like a lot of different cultures from a lot of different places were traveling and sharing cultures sharing ideas and migrating for thousands and thousands of years yeah, you have a Opuang tattoo, right? What What's yours? What does yours mean? Um, I'll show you because we're on video call, but the, the audience can't see. Um, it is actually a divine guidance and protection. Uh, you got you got one of the bird symbols. Um, yes. You got, is yes. that the serpent? That's the, you know. Yes. Yeah, uh, that is that is her. Um. And it's actually so crazy because when I did some research on Kalinga tattooing and stuff, I only ever saw it on headhunters. I went into the mountains. It was like a 10-hour bus ride. And then we had to take a Jeep. And then we had to like go on a motorbike. I burnt my leg on a motorbike. Oh, wow. And so I had this disgusting boil on my calf muscle. But thankfully, I was really into Korean beauty. So I had a fuck ton of like aloe vera gel with me. Uh-huh. which was a blessing because then we had to hike an hour into the mountains and there are no doctors in the mountains. Oh yeah. And those steps are really like, some of them are really small and like, you're like, Oh wow. You can like slip. It's like wet as well. Yeah. It's crazy. It was the worst insane hike I've ever done in my life. And prior to that, I was like, I can hike. This is totally fine. I'm totally fit and healthy. No, I fell over so many times. By the time like we got up to the village, um, like my hands were all like scraped up. I had a burnt leg. It was not a great time. My knees were covered in mud. It was awful, uh, but it was it was super worth it anyway. But it was fine. It was it was a crazy time. Um, and then I spent a couple of days in the mountains as well. Did you just stay in Kalinga, or did you stay in Sagada, or like around there? I went to Sagada as well. I went to Sagada afterwards. So when we came down and stuff after a couple of days, but like when I was up there, I was, it was it was so beautiful. Like it was insanely gorgeous. Just being one in the mountains, the freshness of the air, like seeing where they farm. There was also a fuck ton of weed there because they legally grow it oh yeah 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 because it's in that landlocked region which is so far from Duterte <laughs> yeah. you know like that's the only place that the Spanish couldn't colonize because they're headhunters and now it's the only place that Duterte can't get to because he just can't get to it yeah it's it's ironically like a a holy sanctuary kind of like place where yeah no matter what's going on in the country like they can't get there and yeah yeah, they literally, like, a part of that is because they, um, is the police and patrol up there, so they obviously can't do anything about that, but I, I didn't, I didn't do any drugs, I just want to put that on for the record, because I came there to get tattooed and drink a lot of good coffee, um, and obviously spend time with the people that I met, it was really awesome, we, we went drinking one night out with the villagers, which was really cool, um, yeah, it was a really beautiful experience, but I think I have a different relationship to my Kalinga tattoo today when I first got it I think the reason why I got it was I kind of did a lot of research on tattooing I was like wow this is beautiful it's about connection to culture and region and it's you know ancestry and stuff like that so I was like I really wanted to get a tattoo symbolic of that today though I, I feel really differently about it I'm a bit conflicted about it I think a part of that is because I'm not Kalinga yeah I got you I got you so Takasaan ang familia mo. Where's your family from? Um, well, 
I only found this out recently. My dad's parents, so my Lola and Lolo, are actually from Panay and Negros. Oh. And my mom's family have always been in the Papangas region, like Tarlac, for like oh, <laughs> generations, apparently. Yeah, yeah. So nowhere near the Cordillera. Oh. So I think that's why I feel conflicted about it. I think I got it because I wanted to feel connected um, to the Philippines, being part of the Philippine diaspora. And I know many people do have Wang'o tattoos, um, Kalinga tattoos. I know there are many people in Sydney um, that I know who are Filipino and I see them and I'm like, cool, like we we all have this. This is this is nice and stuff. But then there's also the other layer of, you know, how much history have we lost in colonization? You know, mm. if I had, you know, given the choice, had I done some more research or had I had like family members that could tell me about where we come from, I probably would get a, a tattoo more specific to my ancestry and stuff or or my culture within the Philippines. But I think at the time it was important for me to feel like I belong. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I got it. But yeah, there's a little bit of tension there. Yeah, um, I totally understand that. Um, I think Lane Wilkin really like pushes the idea that if you have a Kalinga tattoo and you're not like of Kalinga descent, then that's, it's really, it's like a, he ma- he makes it sound like a grave moral kind of wrong as if it's like you're yeah. having somebody else's ancestors lineage passed onto your skin. But it's like, I understand the other point is like you, you needed to belong. And like, that's one of the only places where you can get like an ancient tattoo unless you can. Um, I spoke to, uh, Lane on Instagram and I asked him about Kamapangan designs and he says that he has some and he's going to release it in his next book so that's something exciting I guess for us because we're like Kamapangan in... well, um, oh like Kamapangan like um, yeah. tattoo t- oh wow yeah because he has the motives in his but at the same time I think it's important to have like just a, like an ancient traditional tattoo in that sense especially if you've gone on that homage of that 10 hour bus trip over there and then being like, wait, yeah, like, she's just on that mountain. Let's, let's, yeah, let's go. Like, let's go. Come on. Um, yeah. That was like, you know, you go through that journey and you, you see that landlocked region and you, you see how, how they live there. And you're like, I don't know. You just get that feeling of home. I think that's important to just take that with you. And like have a tattoo of something as a memory for that. Um, I mean, even still, like if you're not a Kalinga, and if things are as they believe, because the main reason why we were all tattooed back then was because it was an imprint for us to have for the afterlife. So that um, apparently, when we die, our spirit goes on a journey, and there's a there's a guy in a canoe that like floats between the like afterlife and like our reality now. And he, he like, he kind of checks if people have ta- like the tattoo or not. And if you have a tattoo, then you can get through to like the, like the good place, like heaven. Yeah. Or, or yeah. If you don't have a tattoo, or like in then, Cocoa, where so... they check your photo. Or... Yeah. 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 It's kind of like a passport to the afterlife. Yeah. Damn. I'm going to get filed away in the wrong, in the wrong section. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Cause you have it here on your chest. Or my leg. Because, oh, it's not a part of your ancestry. <laughs> and then you end up with my somebody Lola's else's life. My and Lola's will be like trying to snatch me. Just being like, you stupid. 
they belong with us no yeah definitely sorry you were going <laughs> no yeah no because i like i actually understand this because when i went there i didn't even know where we were going like i just because i went with um my best friend and he's like a half filipino too and we went to Sagada to like see the hanging coffins and like go to the waterfall. Mm. So we did a lot of hiking, and then like we asked one of the one of the jeepney drivers if he knows how to get to Kalinga, and he was like, "Oh, have you made a deal with anyone yet?" And we we're like, "No, we didn't understand why he asked us that." But then apparently in Sagada, there's like this very like tied moral kind of like obligation of like, "All right, if you've got this tourist." then nobody else has this tourist like you know once yeah. you, once you've been like like touched like cuz like apparently a lot of them will bring somebody to Kalinga from Sagada or like some of the near around towns like Banawe and all that by the way the coffee in in Sagada and Banawe is so amazing it's like unmatched i think you about cannot, it every day i was like i i have not tasted a coffee this good like this is crazy that it's not it's amazing yeah, I googled it. They're actually Arabica beans. They're like regular. Uh, uh, a Spanish guy had like brought them over, planted them in the region. But um, I think it's just the way obviously mixed with the soil and stuff like that. But I was looking at whether they import it into Australia, and it is pricey. Yeah, they also don't do like um, mass production of this coffee because it's literally just like done for the people. Oh yeah. So you like cannot get it if you're. In the Philippines, Bose Coffee, they get their coffee oh, yeah. from Sagada. But yeah, I thought about this like a lot. I was like, whoa, I could totally like import this. Um, one of my friends that actually works for co- with coffee, he actually did like a, a trip to the Philippines as an expat. He's like a full mm. Filipino. He'd never been to the Philippines. He didn't know a word of Tagalog, right? He went to the Philippines as an expat, as a coffee specialist. Yeah. <laughs> It was crazy. He can't like I met him when I went there last and I was like, What's up? And he was like, Well like, you know, Puputasa, like uh director like he was just full talking Tagalog and I was like, Whoa, this this is crazy. Your Tagalog's better than my Tagalog. But yeah, he told me that he couldn't he 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 went down that sort of road of like trying to import Sagada coffee. But then it was like that it's not consistent enough. Like it's only like a seasonal mm. kind of gradual kind of thing. Yeah, so that's why he couldn't do it. Um, but he said, like, if you want to do it, go down that road. Like, don't let me stop you from... Yeah, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, I, I didn't do it. But yeah, anyway, back to the main story. We were in Sagada, and then my friend asked the, the jeepney driver, and he was like, oh, you, you guys got to do it? And we are like, no, no, no. And he's like, okay, I'll meet you tomorrow, like, at 4 a.m., or we'll pick you up. And, like, we'd been hiking, we'd been doing all crazy things, and we're like, oh, all right. We didn't. We went to Sagada to get away from Manila and all the craziness of mm. like being a mestizo within a conyo society, and yeah, we didn't get rest. Um, but we woke up at four, and then I didn't even know where we were going. I didn't know who Obuan Odd was at the time. I did not watch the documentaries on YouTube at all. Oh, was, so you just know. blank slate. Blank slate. I had like ripped jeans. I had like a torn up shirt because I when I I was worried that like I was gonna go to the bad areas because I heard um, Rami Monk Snatcher like you know watch out like people kidnap you kind of thing and I was like ah oh, you know and then I didn't realize that I was like 
three times as big as every other Filipino there. So I, you know, I didn't. I we got a lot of looks. You'll be fine. <laughs> I was like, I, but yeah, I was dressed like really. I had this big cut in my in in my in my jeans where my knee was, and we did the hike and we we got all the way there and we we're like, all right, cool, we'll, we'll break here. We must be halfway. Like it was an easy hike by the time we got there, because we've been yeah. hiking all week. It, like, but there was a time where I slipped, and my friend was like, "Whoa!" Like, like I thought you were gonna die. Like, it's a crazy, it's a crazy hike. It's crazy, and you just—it feels kind of spiritual going up there. Um, it does. It's really beautiful. Uh, yeah, I miss it. Uh, and my friend, he's like a hip hop head. He's also the same one that brought me to the spoken word scene. Um, but he was like, he he got up there, and they were like, um. Do you smoke chonke? And he was like, chonke, man, ba. And like, he was at it. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> He's just gone. Like, I got uh, I got pretty high from just being around everybody. And like, they gave us these books. Because we, there's that, there's that myth. I don't know if you heard about this. But like, there's this myth that you either, when you go to Opwango, she either gives you what she sees in you for a tattoo. Like she'll see you and yeah. she'll know, or she'll know where to put it. You choose the tattooing, and like when we got there, we got the book. So I was like, "Oh, cool!" So we choose the tattoo. So that's that's what it was. And I I read both books. And I found like the deepest meaning for like myself in one of them, and I was like, "Cool, I'll get this." And when I saw up one, oh, she was like, "Where do you want it?" I was like, "What do you mean? Don't you decide that?" And then she looked at my knee that had the that had the opening on the jeans and she's like i'm gonna put the tattoo right there (laughs) (laughs) and everybody just laughed so i put my knee forward and then she grabbed me by the hand and she put it on her on her leg and then she just went away and she's so gentle and strong at the same time that i cannot explain like how how physically like tied to her i was but at the same time how like nurturing that that grip was yeah so that was cool yeah it's a beautiful experience when you go like it's always like really nice to one be like in nature like get the views there and then also just having that really beautiful experience of getting tattooed and can't wait for the bunga one to come out because i'm ready (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) part two (laughs) i'm ready to yeah i think that's what we need to like really clarify where we're at yeah yes just just in case we die and then the the boatman is like oh we oh, need no. to get you to your family you're going to that family <laughs> <laughs> just get drafted into a different family and you're like oh no oh <laughs> uh, oh well i guess you guys would do the food's still good regardless <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh that was such a great talk i'm really glad we talked about tattooing um and everything else do you want to go into our question section okay yeah let's let's do that yeah, Kayamo, we can we can move on. Cool. Um, so we put out some audience question for you guys, and someone had asked Tito, um, how do you balance assisting others and giving the space to giving the space to help people help themselves, basically? Oh, okay. Yeah. I think the best way to help people sometimes people like teachers and workshoppers will like sort of structuralize help but they'll also like confine people in the help like so it's like 
they'll like walk people through each step and i think of it as a metaphor is like you're like you you're either going to teach somebody to walk up steps or you're going to like lift each leg for them and i think it's mm. it's good to show a demonstration of the structure of walking up the stairs so to show sort of show them how to write or show them like just just writing a word or a sentence or a phrase and then continuing that on in their own way so i believe that the best way to help people in that regard is to like to to show them structure and then let them sort of make their own rules around that yeah what if what if that person um say that this person is like hey tito you know i'm going through some problems feeling all these these feelings and stuff like that but they keep like they keep coming for advice but then nothing ever changes what do you do then how do you help somebody that you know you're constantly listening to the same thing is is going on how do you get them out of that rut of of just talking about the problem but never actually taking action oh okay throwing the spanner in the works so they're just talking they're just constantly asking you the same advice and you're giving the same like answers back and nothing's happening yeah because it's like how do you balance assisting others and then giving them the space to help themselves so it's like, so what if they've come to you for help and they're like, and you're like, cool, here's, here's how you can do it. But then they don't do it. You know, how do you set up boundaries? Or how oh, do you tell somebody, okay. How would you go about doing that? Then, then I got to step into their lines of like what rule, cause like, I feel like giving them the freedom to make their own rules can have that risk of them not getting anywhere or them not doing mm. what they need to do to get through it. So you got to make rules yeah. and you got to like establish those rules and be like, hey, this is how you do it. This is how I'm doing it. This is what I see you doing wrong. So maybe you should try it this way. If you don't try it this way, then like you're going to end up with the same result. And that's going to be a constant reflection in their head. And they're just going to have that until they realize that what they need to do is like figure a way out of their, their, their system. So they need to alterate in alter, alternate in their methods. Yeah. In order to get what they want. And like, I don't have all the answers and I think it's a, it's a good thing to admit it. Even like, especially as like an yeah. elder Filipino to be like, all right, I don't have all the answers. Cause like a lot of us Filipinos, like you do it this way. Oh, see, that's why you get it wrong because you didn't listen to Tito. <laughs> you didn't listen to your Lola, you know? And it's like that structuralized, like, I don't know. It's like, it's definitely an Asian thing. It's definitely like passed down from like the, ah, uh, I was gonna, I was gonna bring up Apana Alon. I don't know if you know about them. No, I don't. Oh, okay. Oh, we completely like missed that. But yeah, um, I just we want to mention Apana Alon is a community of Filipinos in the States that are bringing ancient tattooing back. And Apana Alon means the four waves, like the four influences of the Philippines. So you've got the oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. the Afro Indonesian wave of influence. You've got the Chinese Malay wave. You've got the Spanish wave and then you've uh the pacific islander wave so they call it yeah. Abana Alon, and that's what makes a filipino when my friends gabriel who used to run sabayan with me in adelaide sabayan was like the filipino creative cultural sort of mm. meetup kind of thing in adelaide now he's doing it in brisbane he he considers philippines as the first multicultural country in the world because we've just got such a 
a blend of yeah. like different influences that we can identify who we are. And when people ask like, oh, what's, what's, what's being a Filipino? Like sometimes we can't answer it because a lot of like one, a lot of people answer that for us and say, Hey, Filipinos, I know what a Filipino is like because my friend's wife is Filipino and you guys cook adobo. And it's like, that's not all that what is Filipino, you know? And sometimes that just gets on my nerve. But yeah, some of Filipinos like, yeah, you know what Filipino is like. But you're like, yeah, okay, we can give them that. But we can also like tell them like what our history is. Because a lot of Filipinos don't understand that. Yeah. They think the Philippines is like one homogenous place. Like it's an actually just like one country. And it's like it's 7,000 islands with different influences, different cultural contacts. And it's thousands of years of all of that blending together. Like, And it's I think it's a, it can be a really beautiful thing um, as well that it's to say that like multiculturalism is is strong in the region and i think we need to lean into that again and not just like eurocentric 100 percent yeah what culture is or what a nation state is and stuff so yeah for sure i'm gonna ask you that other question because i think it's funny do you this is what you got um from your questions and it was do you still see walk oh wow um i do not <laughs> i i don't i don't really see walk anymore um, I think like my, my friend that like would oppose that question, he was in a dance crew with me like 10 years ago and we did, we all did a bit of sea walk and like, I don't know, I was transferring into like crump breaking and popping and yeah. So I do a mix of all, all around hip hop dancing and yeah, to answer that. Yeah. But sea walk was a cool thing back in the day. It was it was very much. I I knew how to see walk as well. Oh, cool. I never got to the point of doing a dedication video. I wasn't any good at it, but it was like the th- the cool thing to do. Like you post it up on your Bebo, and it was like oh, oh Bebo, wow, cool uh, throwback. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, I didn't really. I feel like there were people that were into sea walk more than people that were trying to really get into it. Like. I don't know. Like there were always like the high school battles where you meet like a another kid from Mount Carmel High, and you'd be like, you eye each other off because your uniforms are different. And then you get, <laughs> somebody would get a speaker from somewhere, and y'all would just battle, and you don't even know why. <laughs> <laughs> Does it make you feel young again? Just that throwback. <laughs> a little bit. I feel really. Yeah, uh, I've been feeling old this whole talk. This, the first time I've been called Tito like consistently, so it's cool. It was that or Kuya, but I feel like Tito is your vibe. Yeah, I definitely know? got a Tito vibe with my mustache, so. <laughs> and the cardigan. <laughs> the cardigan, yeah. Oh, God. I'm dressing old. What's yes. going on? And the Ralph Lauren button up. <laughs> <laughs> Just pay- painting a picture for everybody listening. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Cool. <laughs> the Tito has entered the chat. One day, like, will you ever, when you get old enough, do you think you'll ever accept, like, your younger relatives be like, that's my Tito boy. Like, I would I would lose my mind. <laughs> if all of a sudden I was like, that's Tito like, baby. <laughs> I'd be okay with it as long as they told, like, seven great stories about me or something like that, you know? <laughs> when I was a kid and I heard about my Titos, like, they all had, like, crazy stories. Like, one of my Titos, like, he was like, there was a story about him. He took on 12 guys by himself. And all those guys had weapons. <laughs> Um, I was like, that's a cool story. 
but that yeah that tito was super mean and he was like the main one looking after me and i was super scared most of the time i got i got slapped the oh, shit no. out of him a lot but it was uh, that's awful it was fine it was cool it's a different different way of living yeah mm. what what do you want to be known as as a tito oh <laughs> what is your defining tito story and what what kind of tito would you be like will you be like the cool karaoke tito or like the <laughs> nope i won't be the cool karaoke tito no ayoko naman um i mean that's yeah <laughs> i you know because i'm voices cool so like i can't really can't really claim that i'd rather be the tito that's like sort of I don't know. The loving community kind of Tito that like always cares about people. Uh, I guess. I guess that's who I am. The Tito with the best gifts every mm. birthday and Christmas. Mm-hmm. Every time they pull up, they got the latest, latest games, latest, latest toys. basketball, latest. Yes. <sighs> I remember I came with so many presents. The Tito last time. always in the basketball shorts. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to be the Tito always in the. <laughs> The Tito with like the socks and the chinelas at the same time, but we don't yes. know why. <laughs> the Tito with the the wet towel over his head. Uh, yes. uh, the Tito that's always lasting at parties. Uh, that'll probably the be the first me. one. <laughs> and everyone's still sober. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, love it. Well. Thank you so much, Tito Macho, for being on Titas and Tea. It's been amazing to have you. Amazing to be the first Tito on the show. So, yeah. Yeah, Maram Salamat, Gloria. Like, thanks for having me. It's been cool. It's been, like, insightful. It's been, like, really, like, reminiscent. It's great what you're doing. I love it. Thank you so much. So yeah, so thanks for joining us at Titas and Tea. You can follow us on Instagram at Titas and Tea and our website at www.titasandtea.com. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the rest of them. If you'd like to send shmoney, um, you know, get, give me that better. You can PayPal the show at paypal.me slash Titas and Tea. You can find our amazing guests on the following mediums. Where can everybody find you? Ooh, I've got a SoundCloud, I've got Instagram, I've got Facebook, I've got a WordPress. Yeah, I've got a YouTube that has some dance clips on it. Uh, awkwardly old. But yeah, um, if you search up uh, Macho Makata, M-A-T-C-H-O underscore M-A-K-A-T-A on Instagram. Or if you search up Intrums, I-N-T-R-U-M-Z on YouTube. Or if you search that on soundcloud you find me yeah cool amazing we'll we'll share the links um on our instagram and our website as well so titas and tea are proudly supported by radio skid row without them we wouldn't be here so maraming salamat salahat until next time ingat